0: Good morning. We now join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in DePere, Missouri. Good morning. Welcome to Bible class. And as always, a special welcome to any of those who are joining us on the radio or on KFUO.org. As we take our seats here in our gym at St. Paul's and gather ourselves a little bit more, let's do so first by beginning with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks. As your holy word reminds us today in our worship that we have much to give you thanks for, and that we ought to first begin anything and everything we do and come to you within prayer with thanks. We give you thanks today for the opportunity to study your word, to study your word together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and even to be able to do so openly and publicly. So Lord, may your Holy Spirit bless us now as we study your word, that it may do so to strengthen us in faith, and to be able to share that faith with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) All right, good morning. Oh, I forgot to mention those listening online or on the air. I am Pastor Kevin Thompson. So it's good to be back with you here in our gym at St. Paul's. And as our our custom, we are looking at the lessons for the coming week. We are getting close to wrapping up our Advent season. So next week we will, we will get to celebrate Advent 4 in our worship services here at St. Paul's because thankfully we have Sunday worship followed right after that by then Monday of Christmas Eve and Tuesday Christmas Day. So I hope to see all of you many, many times in the next week. So we'll look at our readings for next week, and the first of those three readings is from the prophet Micah, Micah 5, verses 2 through 5a. For those who are here, there are Bibles in the back and handouts with the scriptures printed on them, but let us begin first by reading Micah 5, verse 2. At you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. There ends our reading for next week right there in the middle of verse 5. Okay, trying to get rid of the feedback noise or whatever we have going on there. Okay, so we look at this, Micah chapter 5. So again, we get to look at a prophet. Um, I know that some of us, as we look through Advent season, we continually ask the question as Pastor Thomas and I have brought up, okay, it's Christmas, it's coming soon, let's think about the baby, but remember Advent season, we focus on the coming of Jesus Christ in many different ways, and here we have the prophet who foretells of the coming of Jesus. So we have Micah the prophet, just a couple notes to remind ourselves about him, one, he lived at the time of Isaiah. So they would have been prophesying and living at the same time. So there are some overlap as far as you'll hear some things that are similar in the two of those prophets. Um, and some people will even say that you know, they, they would, in some ways, have heard some of the other stuff the other prophet was saying. And so it gets incorporated into their different writings. Okay? But both of them, very much authoritative in their own right, as God had called them to be their prophet. Micah the prophet, he, uh, throughout this, this, this book... Um, he calls out the leaders of Judah and Israel who had been indulging themselves. So in many ways, there's a lot of harsh words here in Micah as he's calling them out, rebuking them for indulging themselves. Okay, And it gets rather severe at times. And so they're, they're all about themselves, which we know as anything else is idolatry. So that has a, a, is a theme that runs strong throughout here. But then as we get to in this reading for next week, Uh, Micah prophesies the coming of a faithful shepherd. Okay, so amidst all this uh, rebuke and the harsh words, uh, really starting more like chapter four of Micah, we start hearing all this positive, these promises, this prophecy of hope that's coming. And then chapter five for our reading next week. So looking at that, um, verse four talks about that God's gonna grant glory to all the people And that the Lord, he doesn't guarantee that the people in Jerusalem will escape capture, but he does promise a ruler. And so as we look at this reading and we dive into it more specifically here in just a moment, uh, Micah chapter 5, he's promising that this ruler is going to come. He's promising the glory, promising all these good, great, hopeful things. But it also doesn't mean that he takes away all the punishment or all the horrible destruction and capture that the people will still experience which is very applicable not to skip ahead too far um, and get to the application. But think about this in the back of our heads. This is especially a great word of hope for us as we know and we look forward to the hope of our coming Christ a second time. And we, especially in Advent season, look to the baby Jesus to be born, who he is and what he will do for us. And yet, as Pastor Thomas talks about in his sermon this weekend, we still experience many things in this world that are difficult to find joy in, difficult to say, yes, this is great, this is good. So, especially as we look at Micah 5, even though God doesn't take away all the challenges or destruction or horrible things of this world right here and now, when we may like it, he promises something so much greater than we could ever deserve. So, let's dive into the scripture a little bit more specifically. Micah 5, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the, the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So, as I said right here, first we get right to it. There's a promise. Someone's going to come forth for me, for God. He's going to be ruler in Israel. But before we get to that, we see uh, you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And so we look at this and we see Bethlehem, one, it's the birthplace of David, it will be the birthplace of Jesus as well. Also, we know from other scriptural sources, it's Micah's hometown. But really, ultimately, what we get to see from here is this Bethlehem. It's not Jerusalem, as some people might expect. Jerusalem being the, you know, the kind of pinnacle of all the cities, the high city where all the royalty and, and everything was focused, especially at that time. And yet this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem, a much smaller city. It's not this big pomp and circumstance or royal and everything that you might think for the ruler, but rather Bethlehem. And then right following, it says, who are too little to be among the clans of judah it's interesting i was doing some some listening online and dr paul robbie speaks about the, this verse especially in the fact that it, this reference here to be enamored among the clans of judah is referenced to say that it's not even big enough to be considered a clan that from bethlehem it's such a small town it's considered not even big enough to be a clan so this again points us to jesus will come from what is by so many considered insignificant or small And don't we see that all the time throughout scriptures, what God does? He takes some of the smallest or most insignificant or the most humble things and then lifts them up, does the greatest things with them. It's not going to be any different than what he does by sending his very own son. And so Jesus will come from Bethlehem where he will be born. So Ephrathah, just another city or region associated with Bethlehem, and he will be ruler in Israel. Now, ruler in Israel. First of all, this doesn't mean he's going to bring back Israel exactly the way the people expect it, but he will be ruler of it, even though it won't be exactly the way the, the people might think. But ultimately here, we already need to be starting to be directed towards a more spiritual bringing back of Israel. The Israel, the people who had, fought, who had wandered off and gone in their own ways, which is why they're experiencing this capture, these other things being taken over to them, and yet they expect it to be taken back, brought back to them. And God will bring back Israel, but not necessarily with the cities and fortification as they might think, but he will bring them back in the most important, most significant way there is, spiritually. It was interesting as I was preparing for this, I said I listened to Dr. Paul Robbie, and there's kind of this back and forth that he did as he was discussing over this whole scripture passage, that as always when we read scripture, we don't want to jump right too quick to, okay, well this can talk to spiritual or the other things too quickly. We have to look in the first and the context First, look what is right here, right in front of our faces in scripture, right? So especially if you hear a story and an account of something, you look, okay, who are the people and the context, what happened, what are the events? And then God uses those things to point to spiritual things. But it's interesting, as as Dr. Paul Robbie shows us, and I think is well to do, back and forth throughout this whole pericope next week, we can see looking at the, actually what happened, what the prophet was really saying would happen physically in that time, and the spiritual. It's going to be a back and forth. Yes, he will restore Israel, but also there's this spiritual Israel. And that will come through a little bit more later. So, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this ruler who's coming forth to rule in Israel, he's coming forth from of old, from ancient days. So on the one hand, you can look at that and and see that, okay, he's coming back from ancient, from a long time before. But also then we look at Jesus Christ. How ancient is he? He's ancient since the very beginning. How long has Jesus existed? Since the beginning of, the to- of time. Because he's begotten of the Father from all worlds. He is eternal. So from this ancient of days, you can look at literally, yes, he's, it's been a long time coming. But also, he's been since the very beginning. Jesus has always existed. Okay. So, we continue with verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time time. When she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brother shall return to the people of Israel. He shall give them up until the time. Again, another reference, we see that these people, God's people, will experience suffering at the hands of their enemies. Now, yes, he promises the ruler, but God will give them up until that time when she who is in labor shall give birth. And we get this reference here to Mary, who will give birth, which is obviously fitting the Advent season. We look forward to the birth of the baby boy born to the Virgin Mary. Okay? And then we have, again, then the rest of his brothers and sisters shall return to the people of Israel. And again, we have this spiritual return. Return to the people of Israel. Return to the fact that God, Jesus Christ, will bring them back. Okay? So, verse 4, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And to me, verse 4 is what really stands out the most significant of all of this. We look here, and how is this ruler going to be? What is he going to be like? What will he do? He shall stand and shepherd his flock. So, one, you can look in here and you can see that he's standing, so he's not sitting down. He's an active ruler, taking an active stance against the enemies. But more importantly, he will shepherd his flock. So this ruler, as much as people might have wanted and expected a mighty ruler with great power and force and armor and the like, he's coming as a shepherd. And I know know especially in our circles we hear this all the time, but remember, what do we think of when we think of shepherds? Loving, caring, more tender, they're caring for their sheep. And we could go down all these other analogies and talk about how, yes, they have a, a, rod, like a staff that sometimes they've got to kind of prod the sheep along, right? But ultimately, a shepherd in loving care takes care of his sheep. It's not like someone wielding a sword above the sheep's head every two seconds. And this is the kind of ruler that he will be, a shepherd. He will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He is the Lord. He has the Lord's strength, so he is as strong, and he could destroy all those enemies, and he will one day, but he has the strength of the Lord as he shepherds his sheep, In the majesty and the name of the Lord his God, and then we continue on, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great, and that word dwelling, dwelling secure. Oftentimes, we see this words in, these words in Scripture, dwelling secure, thinking of that, being with the Lord, their shepherd, dwelling with Him, being with Him. Okay, it's not just like, okay, they're sitting next to Him, they are dwelling with Him. And their dwelling is secure. Think about we don't really call it that much anymore, but our homes also we could refer to as a dwelling place, right? So you think about our dwelling places with the Lord, our home where we are comfortable, where we are safe, where we are secure is with the Lord, because that's what he's going, to shepherd them, bringing them, dwelling securely, he shall be great to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, and it's interesting, as I was listening again to Dr. Robbie, he talks about, you know, we think about so much, our focus on us today, right, because that's, it, it's ourselves, we, we naturally think about ourselves, and we think about how the word of God has spread throughout time, But initially, the word of God started spread right there where Jesus was in his ministry to the ends of the earth. And ultimately, if you think about it, we in part are the ends of the earth. We here in the U.S. are what could be referred to here as the ends of the earth. Now, now there are many places that we still need to spread the word of God to. And God will do that. But look at how far it's spread even since that time. Now, this is the prophet. Jesus hasn't yet come yet. But think about since Jesus then came and then the word, uh, his word spread throughout the earth. Look where it is today. It says he will spread it to the ends of the earth. And then verse 5, and he shall be their peace. And as I quoted last week um, from a different prophet, Isaiah, as I said, there's some overlap. Jesus is referred to as the prince of peace. But he's not just the prince of peace. As it says right here in Micah 5, verse 5, he shall be their peace. He himself is Peace. So he's the prince of peace, controlling it and, uh, and bringing it in and, and giving it to the people, but also he himself is peace. To simply dwell with the Lord is peace. So what a beautiful, comforting statement to see. Here are these people who are experiencing this, this uh, capture by other nations, other lands, and yet they're promised this ruler. A ruler, yes, who will be mighty is going to do it differently but ultimately he's going to bring them peace. And isn't that ultimately the goal of anything? You know, you think about the the battles and wars that they would have and we want to fight that we have fought today. The goal is ultimately for peace. It's not just, it's not supposed to be just running around, taking other lands and and killing other people, but rather to usher in a peace, to capture the land and subdue those who are evil and doing evil things so that peace can come. And Jesus Christ certainly will bring peace. As we heard today in our readings from Philippians, the peace of God which passes all understanding. If you notice, I personally and many other preachers use that at the end of our sermons. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The peace that passes all understanding. Jesus' peace, the peace that he is and he brings, is greater than any other peace in this world. It passes our understanding, any kind of mankind understanding, any kind of any understanding. It simply passes all understanding. And that's the peace that we have. So in Advent today, as we look forward to to Micah promising this this Savior, this ruler who will bring peace, he isn't just bringing it at the end of the world when he comes back. but He brings it to us here and now, which again is the beauty of Advent. We talk about the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby boy. When he came into this world in the flesh, he brought peace on earth. The angel said "A peace on earth. And then when he comes to us today through word and through sacrament, he again brings peace. And when he comes back finally that last time, he will usher in his final reign of peace where there is nothing more but only peace with him. Are there any questions or comments on Micah? All right. Okay. Then let's continue to Hebrews chapter 10. Epistle lesson next week from Hebrews chapter 10 will sound likely familiar to some that we've had recently. It is not a repeat, but especially in this midsection or so of Hebrews, there are a lot of portions that sound very similar, um, as the letter just makes very clear its point. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Here ends our reading, epistle reading for next week. So as I said, chapter 10 sounds a little bit similar to some of the preceding chapters, but chapter 10, as the subtitle in many of your Bibles will say, discusses Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. And as we see here in We're only reading verses 5 through 10 next week, but verse 1 through 18 really discusses two different kinds of sacrifices, okay? So the first is the atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice of atonement to make the atonement for the sins of the world, the sacrifice that actually fulfills what is required and therefore grants forgiveness, therefore grants what God has to give. So as we'll see, and this is... Spoiler alert, but Jesus Christ makes the atoning sacrifice. As he says in here, all these lambs and and bulls and burnt offerings, none of them can make the atoning sacrifice as he made. He makes the one that actually gives to us forgiveness and faith and eternal life. But that is compared to, it's also discussed in these 18 verses, the Eucharistic sacrifice. Eucharistic sacrifice, as the word Eucharistic lends to, is to give Thanks. I know we don't use it often here, but we refer to the Holy, uh, to Holy Communion often, sometimes as the Eucharist, as it's well called, because we get to give thanks for what he gives to us. But the Eucharistic sacrifices are what, that we sacrifice to God, they're not atoning for us, they're not giving us, earning us his gifts, they're not earning us forgiveness and eternal life, rather we're sacrificing to him out of thanks for what he gives to us, Okay? In our worship services, sometimes people get a little uncomfortable. I ask this in confirmation class that I say, "Okay, you know, students, what what can we give God in worship?" The first answer is always, "We can sing." Okay, yes, we can sing. But what do we get to give God in worship? In worship, we get to give Him things. We get to sacrifice to Him, which sometimes makes people uncomfortable. We're not. What what what, what sacrifices are we making? The sacrifice we're making. What are we are giving to God? Is our prayers. We are giving to God our, our, our confession. We are giving it to him. It's giving up to him. Now, that's not saying that, okay, we're giving him our prayers and our praises in order that he'll forgive us. Rather, we give him our prayers and our praises in order to thank him for what he gives us. Because he made the atoning sacrifice for us. We still get to make Eucharistic sacrifices. Giving him thanks. Okay. That's a, a little intro on sacrifices there. So we look at this in chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. There's a, a significant focus on Jesus' human journey, um, not just on his death, but all the way from his conception on through to his exaltation. You'll see it in these words as we dig into it more. It doesn't just look at his death. Which if you think about sometimes in our circles, we focus so much on his death on the cross. As we should, I'm not negating that. But we look at, there's this whole human life that he lived, where he came and was conceived and born and grew and did ministry. And then, he yes, he died on the cross, but then all the way he was exalted and ascended to heaven. Okay? So here, in verses 5 through 10 even, of this chapter, we get to see a focus on this whole thing. Which is fitting, and then why, we've, why it's been assigned for here in Advent. Because in Advent, we await his birth. We think about his earthly ministry that we get to, because then what we get to receive here through word and sacrament, and we also look forward to his final coming. So here in these verses, we see his whole human journey throughout his time here on earth. The last note I'd like you to consider before we get verse by verse here is that throughout these verses, you kind of see this back and forth between the way it's written as far as negatively what Jesus didn't do or wouldn't do versus what he does do. So you see in the words here, and we'll do, well, I'll discuss this more as we get into it, but there's a negative way of phrasing these words and positive. And kind they of contrast and it helps us also highlight then what Christ has done for us. So let's start in verse 5 there. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Okay, now, I know those listening online may not have their Bibles, but if you would, if you grabbed a paper Bible, turn to Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Those of you who did not, I will read it for us, no worries. Psalm, because here, in verse 5, as I just read for us from Hebrews, we have a quote back to Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 reads, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. I point that out. As always, we get to see the beauty of connection of scripture. Uh, Throughout scripture, God has so beautifully woven it together. But also we we see that what, what is written here in Hebrews isn't just some words. It's one, pointing back to the Old Testament. And two, when it points back to the Old Testament, we see that this has been a plan so long in the making by God. That yes, in the Old Testament, God had desired the people to make those sacrifices. The burnt offerings, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, the rams. It's what he desired. But he also had something much greater planned. They also knew that that was not going to be enough, that offering bulls and rams and goats was not going to truly be able to save the entire world from their sin for eternity. So since the very beginning, God has had this plan. So we go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Sacrifices and offerings you haven't desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So we know in here we get pointed to the fact that Jesus is going to take on this human body. And we know that, right? We've heard this story so many times. He's born, he takes on human flesh. But this is very much part of scripture that is woven all throughout. Then in verse 7, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book. So to do the will of God. And the will of God here is to fulfill the law in its entirety. To satisfy God's justice and to accomplish the redemption of the human race. So often we need to be reminded that Jesus came. Didn't, he didn't come just to say, okay, the law is gone. All those old offerings and burnt offerings are done. No, he came to fulfill it. He stood in the place where God said that a punishment is deserved to sin. And he gave it. God says that that sin deserves to be punished. Sin deserves death. And Jesus didn't come in the world and say, okay, whatever, forget that, we're making something new. He came in and he did the very will of God. He was the atoning sacrifice that took on that punishment for sin. And because he did that, then he not, as I said, he satisfied God's justice God is a just God. He's not contradicting himself. So he did punish sin and he therefore accomplishes redemption for the entire human race, for all people, all of mankind from since beginning all the way on to however many there will be. That's what this will is when it says in verse seven, the will of God. I came to do your will. Okay. Verse nine through 10. In verse, verse 9 through 10, here we get this kind of back and forth um, as far as negative phrasing and positive phrasing. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus Christ he made the once for all sacrifice so that we can make, he could make us holy. As it says right there in verse 10, that, that by that will we have been sanctified. Sanctify means to make holy. We've been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Literally his body. He gave up his body. And when we come to the Holy Communion, to the Eucharist, we receive his very body and blood. Not to be gruesome, but here in Hebrews, it really focuses on the fact that Jesus has had a very fleshly ministry. It was real. It was present. He took on a true human body gave up his human body, and we, as we say, we believe, teach, confess, we truly receive his very body, at Holy Communion. And because of his body, given and given to us, as it says here, we are sanctified once for all. So his body is a source of all of our holiness. It sounds a little bit odd to some people outside of our circles, but when you explain it, when you read into God's Word and you see the beauty of what He's done, His plans, His very beginning, it's amazing. It's amazing also to think about this Advent, Him being a coming flesh, Him being a baby boy, is about so much more than just a cute little baby in the Nativity. So much more than just Christmas. I was in the other Bible class last week, and the whole focus, we were looking at some hymns and other, and, and, uh, for Advent and Christmas time. The focus there last week was the fact that, yes, it's good to remember he's a baby boy, it's cute, nativity, but remember, Christmas time is a great opportunity for us to witness to others. When Maybe the rest of society is a little bit more open to talking about religious things than usual. You go other, out in the stores and the like, and you talk with people, and you know, sure, there's debate, do you say Merry Christmas to someone or Happy Holidays or the like, but on the general, I would say during, during Christmas time, it seems like more people who may not normally, might be more open to hearing about Jesus. It's the season of joy and happiness, even if they maybe don't go to church. They're like, yes, it's the season of giving and joy and peace and happiness. So use it as an opportunity. Share with them that when we celebrate this baby who's born, it's so much more than that. It's God taking on human flesh for your sanctification. So you get to be with him forever. Any questions or comments on Hebrews? Yes, Dan. Yeah, so great point, Jan. So if you look through these verses in Hebrews 10, it seems to be chronological, as Jan's pointing out. And I would, I would agree that I think it, it does point us to that. That you prepared a body for me looking at his incarnation. And then he came to do his will as Jesus Christ did in his earthly ministry. And then later on, uh, now that verse 5 through 7 is that direct quote from Psalm. But then Hebrews continues on to tell us the other part, the next part of his life, if you go kind of chronological. That then he made that sacrifice. Exalting himself and therefore us. Great point, yes, Jen, I would agree. All right. There's no other questions. Let's turn to Luke chapter one. Next week the gospel, according to the lectionary, is from Luke chapter one, verse thirty nine through forty five. Um, I also put in parentheses on those, the handouts here, verse 46 through 56, because some churches may read those. Some may omit them, depending on however the preaching and planning of the worship service goes. So the lectionary kind of gives us options. Uh, re- you can read the first six verses or go all the way through and read another 10, 11 more verses. For our study today, we're going to read all of them. I only printed the first six for space and also so I could make the print larger on that piece of paper rather than cram it on size 8 font. But we're going to read all of them because um, verse 46 through 56 are beautiful. We get into the Magnificat. So first we read Luke 1 verse 39 and following. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... There ends the first appointment for the reading next week. We're going to pause there and discuss. So here we have this visit between Mary and Elizabeth. What I encourage you to think about as we reflect on this is just simply the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage, these few verses are just packed with the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit, at least from my perspective, can be one of the most complicated things for us to understand. You should see some of the faces in confirmation class. I'm talking to 7th and 8th graders, and they look at me like, wait, he does what? He's what? It's confusing. We can't really see it, right? I mean, so it's, it's beyond our understanding and comprehension, and yet look at this. In these six verses, the beauty and the power and the amazing work of the Holy Spirit that's throughout here. One, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the fact that, this, that Mary has, is carrying a child. She has a child in her womb that is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not the natural way that humans would go about conceiving, but rather through a miracle, the Holy Spirit conceived a child inside of her. There's one amazing thing that the Holy Spirit has done. So here we see Holy Spirit has conceived this child. Next, we have the fact that this Holy Spirit who conceived this child. It's the, Spirit, it's the child of the Lord. It is the Lord. Jesus Christ who is in her womb. Another amazing thing. And we see, as we know, because Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. The Father is God. There are one God. He has three persons, but one. So, again, although we talk about it so much as Jesus, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who's conceived in her womb. And Jesus is the person who took on flesh, the person of God who took on flesh. Holy Spirit is very much present and active, working, one God, okay? And then finally, the third thing you can see in here, oh, we love it, we always do threes, right? In our our circles, we talk about things. But third, we see that the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this child is recognized without even talking about it. Without even speaking about this child and hearing this greeting, as it says in verse 41, the baby leaped in her womb. I mean, Elizabeth is rejoicing by the power of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, this baby's leaping in the womb because the Holy Spirit's working. It's amazing. Amazing, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. The other thing I encourage you to see here in this Scripture passage is we have this, this kind of togetherness of John and Jesus. Now, neither of them are born yet. They're still yet in the womb but we have John and Jesus in, in the same uh, accounts of Scripture, right there in the presence of each other, in their own mother's wombs, and yet you have them together, and you see this, this comparison, and it kind of you can see the similarities. As we'll see then, as John and Jesus are both born, the, the similarities in their ministry. Of course, John always points to Jesus, and Jesus' ministry is greater, right, because he's God. But we see these similarities. One, they're both in the womb, but two, they're both miraculously conceived. We were here for worship this last Wednesday at St. Paul's in our Advent services. We focused on the perspective of Elizabeth. And that through Elizabeth, although she was, as she says, as scripture says, advanced in years, far past the normal, natural age to be able to conceive and carry and bear and give birth to a child, she did. Because God did that miracle in her. So it's a miraculous way for her to be conceived and then to be able to give birth. And then similar and yet greater. Jesus is conceived miraculously, He's conceived simply by the Holy Spirit. So you have kind of this pairing here. And then you can even see, as we talk about John the Baptist is the messenger, and Jesus is the message. So it's just, it's neat to have these two right here in this passage together. And we see this comparison that then will be highlighted. And this is, a, this is one interesting facet of Luke's gospel. That Luke, throughout his gospel, will kind of have what some scholars call like this kind of... Um, step relationship between the two. That it's like kind of a step and then a greater step. There's John and then Jesus a little bit greater. You kind of see this back and forth. John and then Jesus. John and Jesus. And so that's a a facet of Luke's gospel that is a little bit different from the others. Uh, Just kind of highlights different things for us. So... So let's continue. So we look in this passage and we see that that she's leaping in this womb. And sound of the greeting um, came to my ears and the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This baby leaped for joy because of the presence of Jesus. The very presence of Jesus caused this baby to leap in her mother's womb. Simply by his presence, something amazing was done. And so, as is our focus, especially in Advent, we, look at the, we focus on the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Him being present here and now in the flesh, we think about how his presence does great things. Okay, So one here causes the baby to leap in the womb, but then when he is in the flesh walking around doing his earthly ministry, older than a baby boy, look at the great things that he did in the flesh. The miracles, different healings cleansings of kinds, raising people from the dead, simply his presence. One time in seminary, we were told that as we're looking at a miracle, always think about how does that miracle get enacted? What happens? Does Jesus say something or does he do something? And oftentimes, simply Jesus speaks and miracles happen. But also there are other times in scripture where you see that Jesus simply is there or he reaches out his hand and he touches someone and they're healed. His very presence can do and does do amazing things. So again, we look at then his presence here and now. We know we don't have it set up here in the gym today. But next door in our sanctuary today, we, have, we get to celebrate Holy Communion. And we know that he is truly present. In with none of the bread and wine is his body and blood. His presence does great things. His presence in the Holy Supper gives us forgiveness of our sins, strengthens our faith. Gives us that promise of eternal life. His very presence does that for us. His presence does amazing things. And then finally, I ask to, I encourage you to consider here with these first six verses: is that not only does his presence do great things, but then what does it evoke from people? It oftentimes evokes, as it should, worship. And so, from here, from Elizabeth, kind of have a worship type response. Elizabeth says. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We don't have a whole lot to focus here on Elizabeth. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's exclaiming with a loud cry. She's excited. She's rejoicing. So in that sense, we have this worshipful response. But then as we will dig in here in just a moment, we get to see a beautiful worshipful response from Mary. And so then I encourage you, before we get to Mary, what is your worshipful response Christ's presence. One, simply being here is a, a worshipful response, is a response to what He does. Suddenly giving His praise. That's why we sing, to give Him praise, to thank Him, to worship Him, praying to Him, then actually sharing with others what He does. That is how we ought, and we get to respond to His presence given to us. I want to pause there for questions before we go to the... Last portion. Are there any questions or comments? All right. So, I would I will read for us verses. Yeah. Oh, sorry. By hearing. Yeah, that's a wonderful point, and I'm going to repeat some of that mark for those who couldn't hear, especially online, but the beauty, I I think it's wonderful to hear the beauty of being able to hear, as, as you pointed out, that Mary heard what the angel said, Elizabeth hears, and from there, what God does through that, and then as you quoted, blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord, which I'm not sure if this was your intent with the comment, but also, there's a twofold to that, right? One, we have the joy and the opportunity, the blessing to be able to hear his word, and we too are blessed by that. But also then, I think there's part of that under undergirds that is we should put ourselves in places as much as we can to be able to hear His word, because look at what God will do through that hearing. Dan that, Sure then, yeah i would I would agree speaking also is very very important here in this this portion as well. All right. Let's go ahead. I would love, I would really like to be able to read the the last portion um, of of this, especially because um, the next few verses are used often in our worship, in our order of, of, of service. So, verse 46 through 56, I'll read that for us. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. so here we have what's referred to as the the magnificat okay Magnificat comes the title there comes from that that third word in our English translations magnifies the Lord it's just it's Third word in ours, but in the Latin translation it would be the first word because of Latin word order being different than our word order. But magnifying, that is her response to what God has done, magnifying the Lord. As I said, we still do sing this uh, within our liturgy. You can find it um, in the Lutheran service book, page 248, 249, if you want to look it up later um, and look and see where it's in our worship services. Um, Generally this would be chanted or sung. And so here we have this song in which she's looking at, delighting in the Lord, what he has done. And just look through this again with me. Verse uh, 47. Her spirit rejoices. In it, in, uh, and look at who she rejoices in. Her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What has God done for her? He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's referring to herself as a humble estate of his servant. One, looking at herself as humble. She knows where her place is in this world, and yet look at what God's done for her. And two, she refers to herself as a servant. She's God's servant. Behold, and then here it comes. From now all generations will call me blessed. And That's not a reference to Mary magnifying herself at all. Simply she is blessed because God has come to her. Okay, And now on all generations... For he, verse 48, or 49, excuse me, is mighty, has done great things for me. So attesting to God's might and how he does great things, and holy is his name. And then verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. And not just for a little while, but for generation to generation. For all time, for all people. And as we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, Christ was sacrificed once for all. So here, from generation to generation. Verse 51, he's shown great strength with his arm, scattered the proud in his thoughts of their own hearts. Look at the strength that God has. Scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He literally can do anything and everything. And then verse 52, he brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Again, how often do we see that God brings down the mighty, those who by earthly standards think that they are mighty, and exalts the humble. And then we think of Jesus Christ, especially this time, who is the mightiest, the one who deserves most exaltation, and yet he humbled himself the most. Verse 53, filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Again, just look at God gives to all those. He gives everyone to what they need. And verse 54, he helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Twice here now we've seen mercy. That again, even though the people don't deserve it, even though the people are in their own ways, God mercifully provides for them and cares for them, giving them what they need. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So again, a promise that's given for all people from Abraham on and all the offspring. For all people. This is what God has done, shown in his mercy. So this beautiful song of praise is Mary. Again, we think about the Holy Spirit in in the first six verses of this passage, how the Holy Spirit does such amazing things, and what's the response to that? Nothing but worship and praise. What does God deserve for what his Holy Spirit does? Worship and praise to magnify his good and great name. And so her song, too, can be our song. We too can read and look at this, and I know we're not Mary, obviously, right? We didn't carry baby Jesus, but how can we not also read through the same um, portion of Scripture with our own words? And I encourage you to do that as, as possibly in your own reflection. My soul magnifies the Lord, rejoices in God, my Savior. He's yours too. Personal Savior for you, personal Savior who has looked on We could even say you also in your humble state and his servant. We compare all these, okay? Now, this was Mary's song. This is what she sang. This is what she did. This is true, historical. This is what she did. But also it can apply to us. So I'm not saying it wasn't Mary's song. That Okay, it's just anybody can sing it. But we too are his servants. We too are his people. We too get to sing this song magnifying the Lord for what he's done. Are there any questions or thoughts on that portion? Okay, I am going to end just a couple minutes early because those who are here in the gym are well aware we have many people. We are blessed today by our worship message being given by our kindergarten through fourth grade in our next worship service. But please join me in a word of prayer before we conclude. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to study your word. We are blessed to be able to hear it and we pray that you would continue to speak to us In the many ways you have for us, that you would continue also to strengthen us in faith so that we could speak your word to others, so that all might hear of this good and wonderful news that you have for us, that your son, Jesus Christ, humbled himself to come to this world for us, that his very presence is given to us over and over again, and that we get to be in your presence forever one day, Lord. Until that day, Lord, may you strengthen us in faith, and we pray these things and all things, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. 아멘.